0: Hey y'all. Hey y'all. I'm Ashley. And I'm Charlotte. And together we are Wokish
1: Podcast. On today's episode, we're continuing our discussion about race privilege and white privilege and lack of white privilege. And in our last episode, we talked a lot about the history of race relations in the United States. And today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into a few examples of the ways in which white people and black people and people of color are treated differently and or have different life experiences as a result of skin color. So a lot of the things that we're talking about today are a result of the implicit biases and prejudices that white people have about black and brown people and that black and brown people even have against each other. We're not going to dive too deeply into those actual implicit biases today, because we will have a separate episode that goes more deeply into the subject of implicit bias. So today we're going to start by talking about the ways in which... Black and white people in the United States are treated differently and have different consequences and different experiences because of the color of their skin. And starting off on that topic, in our last episode, we ended the episode talking about how in our society, we have generally seen these, quote, lower skilled jobs like janitorial work and housekeeping and those kinds of things being held by black people and more recently immigrants from Latin America and from other countries, so black and brown people, and how your value as a human being is so often seen as being directly tied to what you do for your profession. And so we, as a society, often place less value on the lives of black and brown people because we have held them in these, quote, low-skilled, quote, low-level positions where they're not frequently able to be in positions of political power and to be in these careers that we deem to be of high value, like doctors and lawyers and CEOs, which, you know, are generally considered to be high value because they make a lot of money. So at the end of our last episode, just as a reminder, we were discussing how the lives of black and brown people in the United States are often valued less than the lives of white people because of the careers that we have historically held. And of course, those jobs and positions have been historically held by Black and Brown people. Those quote lower-skilled jobs, because of this history of slavery and this history of race relations that we have in the United States, where Black and Brown people are not treated as equal human beings.
0: And I think that's where we get into. I Think about that Brock Turner case.
1: Mm-hmm. Remember the yeah
0: and <gasps> how. They fought to say that you know his life moving forward he can do so much. Yeah.
1: So just a reminder if you don't if you need a refresher, Brock Turner was the white guy at what university was that? I don't know I don't some university like the white swimmer who Rape raped a, a woman so at a party and then was what he got like ninety days probation yeah, he or got slapped, something. Literally yeah. a slap on the wrist. And I bring that up to
0: say, like, his lawyers were talking about how he has such great potential and how he could do all these great things. He's still so young.
1: He's got his whole life ahead of him. And it was
0: like, y'all just assuming that he's going to, he could be a CEO one day. But it's like, take someone who maybe wasn't in college, was a janitor or whatever the case was, and it was like, "Mm, wow.
1: Yeah, can you imagine? Like, if, If Brock Turner was a black guy. Yeah. He would have been in jail immediately.
0: Absolutely. You think about like every time there's a cop related shooting of an unarmed black person, and the first thing is go, oh, but he did this. Oh, but he tried yeah. to rob that store. It's
1: never like, oh, this 17 year old has so much potential. That's right. it's so never, sad. It's never the case. It's, it's always. he should have known not to move his hands in front of the cop.
0: Yeah, which makes me think of the most recent one. With the seventeen-year-old in Pittsburgh, where he yeah, Antoine Rose, mm-hmm, Antoine Rose, where he ran and the police officer shot him several times in the back. Now, the way I understand the law to be is, cops are able to use force when someone is directly threatening them. threatening them or threatening people around them. And I don't understand how a kid running in the opposite direction away from you unarmed is a threat that led to deadly force and i think i'm a housewives junkie and i think about the most recent housewives episode where luann if y'all watch real housewives in new york was arrested in palm beach for public intoxication and first of all they, they they get to handcuff her and she said in her talk on the show she was saying how she just wanted to get out of there they were not going to arrest her and how she just wanted to hide and get out of there so she's in the back of a police car she slips out of the handcuffs she kicks the police officer he's threatening to hogtie her and do all these things to keep her in the car she tells the cops i'm going to f- kill you excuse my language and she is clearly posing a threat but she still gets to go before the judge in an hour and you know Which I'm not saying, I think a lot of times what people misunderstand is that we're not saying that police are not able to arrest people. But what you're not able to do is shoot someone in the street without letting them.
1: threatening your life. Yeah, like
0: let them get their, their day in court. That's all we're asking for. Let them get their day in court as opposed to you being the judge, jury, and executioner in the street because you had a fear or what have you. And so, you know, I think about Luann. Luann was able to literally threaten the police, break out of handcuffs, kick doors open, and she got to go before a judge in an hour. Where this child, all he did was run away and now his family
1: is buried. And there's so many, many, many instances of crimes that have such different consequences based on the color of your skin. Like Brock Turner, who raped a woman, which is a violent crime, and was barely punished at all, versus a black person who would do the same thing and get thrown in jail immediately probably for the rest of their life. And so, sure, there are exceptions to the rule, and there are cases where shootings of Black people may have truly been an instance of self-defense on the part of the cop, and there are instances where Black people commit crimes and do deserve to have a serious punishment, but when we compare the crimes and the punishments against white people and black people they're completely different for the most part yeah i mean
0: i think is look at drug related things there's studies that show that black people or black teens do drugs just as much as white teens if not less but black people are still the stereotypical drug dealer mm-hmm. So this whole opioid crisis, to me, I feel as though it was able to get to the point it is now because no one was suspecting white suburban moms. Or no moms. one cared no one that the cared. white suburban moms right. were doing it. But when we think about the 80s and that crack e- epidemic and just how, you know, the president at the time was sending in military forces to crack down and we had this three strikes laws, and which is kind of, which kind of has led us to where we are now with our criminal justice system, and just how black men are incarcerated at a far higher rate than any other group of people. So it's like a white person has weed on him, a black kid has weed on him who's getting the tougher sentence? Absolutely. The black person. Yeah. Like,
1: I think that is such a stark example. The number of black people who have been jailed for possession of marijuana is shockingly high. And white people smoke as much, if not more marijuana than black people on average. And if you're listening to this podcast, how many white people do you know that have smoked weed? And how many of those people are in jail You know, for white people, it's like a cool hippie thing to just be smoking weed at an artsy music festival in the middle of the desert. And if a cop comes, you're going to get a slap on the wrist. You might get a fine. Probably nothing's going to happen to you. But if you're a black person and you even have a tiny amount in your possession, you're going to go to jail.
0: There was a story where there was a party. It was like they had weed at a party and everybody went to jail. And it was like the smallest amount per person. It was like maybe an ounce, and it was 50 people that was jailed for the ounce. And it was oh just God. like, are y'all kidding me? And it was, of course,
1: all black people. Of course. And, you know, in the states that are legalizing marijuana, we're legalizing marijuana, but you don't see sentences being reversed for the people that had marijuana, or were smoking marijuana, and then were jailed prior to the legalization. So we still. Are going to have people that remain in jail for the rest of their lives or who go to jail and then are released eventually but have missed 10, 15, 20 years of their existence just because, you know, a year ago people he thought that leak was the worst thing in the whole world and that you deserve to lose your life for it. Yeah.
0: And it doesn't help when we have an administration in the White House now that thinks that drug jailers should just madly um, get life in jail. No, not liking jail. I think he said they should be murdered. Did
1: he? I yeah. didn't hear that. Ugh! And you know that he like. Yeah, he did Oh that. my god! He probably did all kinds of drugs when he was young because he's a young. You know his kids guy. did. Hundred like, percent. Ugh! Disgusting. So in terms of white privilege, if you're a white person and you get caught with weed, you're probably just going to get a slap on the wrist. Like honestly, as a white person, I don't smoke weed and I don't desire to, but if I did, you would have no feel, fear. Yeah, I feel pretty confident that like, yeah, I might be nervous that someone would catch me, but I would get a slap on the wrist. Like I'm not concerned about being locked up in jail for 10, 15 years because of a, you know, it's having awesome possession of a that. joint or something.
0: Right. And that's the whole reason why we're having this conversation is because white people people of color in this country are treated so differently for a, the same we're not even saying like you're treating differently in different situations treated differently in, in the, the same situation which is why the problem yeah. exists
1: so like it doesn't make me a bad person to not get thrown in jail because of owning a small amount of weed or something which again i don't so don't call the cops but, but <laughs> But, um, you know, it matters what I do with that privilege. It matters that I see other people not getting the same treatment, and it matters that I stand up for the people that are getting penalized for something that I'm not getting penalized for. Like, obviously, in most cases where we see discrimination against people who are black and brown, we don't want to take away the privilege from white people or people who are not getting that same treatment. What we want is equal treatment, and we want... People who are black and brown to get the same treatment that white people have.
0: Yeah, and I think that's so key because I think there's a lot of white people in this country that honestly, in their heart of hearts, believe that every time there's a stride, someone makes strides for an immigrant or for any person of color, that that means that they're going to lose rights. Mm -hmm. And it's not that. They just want everyone to be on an equal playing field. Like you're yeah. not going to. I watch Fox News a lot, not because I want to learn anything, but because, <laughs> so, <laughs> but because I like to hear other people's. Like I need to know how they're coming to these conclusions. Yeah. And so yesterday, Tucker Carlson, lovely man, ugh, <laughs> he was talking about how we do not benefit from immigrants being here, and how yeah okay there is no benefit to having. Open borders, which are, are not open, stop saying that, oh but how we do not benefit from having open borders and immigrants being in America, and he had a young African American guy from Brooklyn who was running for some sort, of, I think, lieutenant governor, I believe, in some part of Brooklyn. And he was like, you know, how do people in your poor neighborhood of Brooklyn benefit from more poor people coming in? Yeah. And it was in, the, in the, the guy who was running was trying to very eloquently say that this is not a matter of how do we benefit, but the fact that we all benefit. It's not a matter of the question isn't how, how do you benefit, but it's why are you losing out if an immigrant yeah. comes here? So stop with the whole immigrants are taking jobs and immigrants are going to make things worse. Like, literally, that whole argument is xenophobic. And it's, it's not a term that we just pull out of our butts. Like, we literally hear people yeah. on what platforms like Tucker Carlson making these statements. And it blows my mind when I hear, oh, the media, the media, the left media, the left media. And I'm thinking, no, it's you in the words that came out of your mouth that I yeah. watched you say on TV, Tucker Carlson. It wasn't I saw a clip on CNN that talked about what you said, No, I watched your show and listened to you. You
1: said it. Like, you said
0: it. There was a commentator on Fox and Friends that made the statement that these aren't our children at the border. It's not like they're in Texas or, or Arizona somewhere. These are not our children. Treat them humanely, but they aren't our children. And that's the whole issue, is that people like to distance themselves from their own neighbors. Yes, those are not American children, but they are still children who are worthy of being treated with dignity and families not being separated, whether they're from Texas or they're from New Mexico City or most of these people. It's so frustrating because I think because they're coming through Mexico, we just assume they're Mexican. Yeah,
1: they're not. They're not
0: Mexican. They're Guatemalan Honduran, and Honduran. N- from Venezuela. I mean, they are, there's a lot of different countries <laughs> in Central America other than Mexico. So and yeah, they're coming through. Yeah. <laughs> Most of Mexico's in North America. In North America. I should know that because we're getting the FIFA. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it's like, no, these are not these are not Mexican people coming across the border. These are people coming from countries that are in dire need of asylum, in dire need of our country's resources and help. And
1: also this is not like this is not what this episode is about but <laughs> just mentioned they're coming here seeking asylum so so much of the conversation from the right has been these people are illegal immigrants and they're criminals and they're choosing to come over here criminally so therefore they deserve to be punished and the children deserve maybe it's not the children's fault but you know parents shouldn't have brought their kids here illegally but the majority of these people are coming here seeking asylum and that's the process for seeking asylum. Is you come to the here. border, get to the border, and you ask to be processed. You ask for asylum. That is processed. You are brought in. Period. You don't, like, get on the phone from Honduras and call to be like, Hey, guys, I'm really going to come over asylum. next week. <laughs> yeah like is it okay if i just pop by like that's not how it works right. so they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing in order to seek asylum in this country
0: and we understand there are ports of entry that you're supposed to go through when you're seeking asylum but have you seen these
1: ports of entry mm. like
0: there's nowhere that all these folks can go through at one scene sa- it's like i think about the ro- a rotating door coming out of macy's door christmas time like we ain't all fitting through this door <laughs> like i'm gonna go around you know, and and so our process needs to change. Not the idea that people are not allowed to come here. We just need to learn how to put the money into figuring out how
1: to process these these issues. Yeah. Anyway,
0: welcome to America. Yeah, this is America.
1: <laughs> so anyway, we we're talking about white privilege and lack of white privilege among black and brown people.
0: Another area we see race based bias or white privilege is when it comes to the maternal mortality rate in America, which I'm actually writing about this for my nursing school application. America has the highest rate of maternal mortality in the developed world. Our rates have only gone higher throughout the years, whereas other countries, their rates have actually gone lower. And so when you dig deeper into this, Although it's not solely a black or a white thing, it does happen more to black women and brown women in America than it does white women. Although the rate for all women has gone gone up, it has gone up exponentially for black women and brown women in America. So you have to think about, you know, why is this happening? And what are the factors that are contributing to this mortality rate?
1: Black women are more likely to be lower income and also live in areas that are farther away from hospitals. So when they have complications related to pregnancy, before, during, and after childbirth, they have less access to hospitals and doctors that they can visit for those complications. Yeah.
0: So in my research for my paper, I've just come across uh, the practice of midwifery. And how it essentially started off, in America at least, the practice of birthing of of a woman coming in and helping another woman give birth was a black woman dominated industry on plantations. It was other black women who were midwives that were helping give birth to the babies of black women and also the babies that were being born um, to slave owners. So this was a very black woman dominated industry. And as time progressed and white men decided they were going to take over the role of Midwifery from black women and make it more science based or what have you, that we started to see a rise in maternal mortality rates. And so the idea is that now our society has a preference on how women give birth to be in a hospital, surrounded by equipment, with doctors, and not to say that that is not. The route that if you believe that that's the route you need to take, by all means, I respect science clearly. I want to be a nurse. But just the culture of birthing being an experience and not a procedure has drastically changed, um, which I believe is giving rise to the idea that women are no longer being, you know, you have you give a baby and in two days, three days, you're discharged and you might have a follow-up. Your baby will have a follow-up appointment before you do. So which is crazy because your mm -hmm. body has gone through so much trauma. It's gone through trauma, yeah. Yeah. Um, And we expect mothers
1: to just get up and go back to work the next day.
0: Exactly. So whereas babies are being brought back to the hospital to have their checkups, you know, few weeks after birth, the mother it might be six to eight weeks. And in that time, you've dealt with having a newborn, you've dealt with your body changing, you've dealt with so much. And that's where the bulk of the maternal mortality rate is happening is postpartum. There are, have been lots of stories of deaths happening while women are giving birth, but majority of these deaths are happening postpartum, where women are not being treated for their depression or complications that may arise think about serena williams charlotte brought that to my attention and how she talked about her her cesarean caused so many issues and complications and how she felt like her doctors were not listening to her
1: And she almost died she
0: almost died and so again like i i feel like if there was not this culture of let's make birthing a, a procedure and not an experience where white men were not taking that role away from black women in the early 1800s, 19, late 1800s, early 1900s, would we be experiencing such a high rate of mortality in 2018? You think about for some time they thought maybe that it was genetics so or it had something to do with poverty rates or what have you, but we look at less developed countries that have a high rate of black people. And they don't have these Sounds issues. They like have a high rate of blood. <laughs> I don't. I didn't want to say African countries, but we look at less developed African countries, and they don't have the rate of mortality that we have in America. So it's not genetics.
1: And obviously there's a lot to be said for having access to medicine and doctors and hospitals so that if something does happen, you can get treated by a professional. And that's really important. And it's incredible that we now can treat women and children for the majority of things that come up if they give birth in a hospital Mm. or, you know, close to a medical professional that can help them. But yeah, I think there is a lot to be said for... body and we have doctors who have these set ideas about what's supposed to happen and what you do and that translates into not actually listening to women and women being encouraged not to listen to their own bodies not to be intuitive about what their body is telling them is happening and then doctors not listening when women do bring things up because the doctors are accustomed to you know x y and z and so if you're telling me that this is happening and i'm a doctor and i haven't seen that before i'm gonna be like nah that's not real.
0: You and your superstitions, lady. Yeah.
1: So maternal mortality rate is something that's high in the United States. Also, newborn mortality rate is also incredibly high among Black babies in the United States. And there was an oh. article on NPR about this in December. And the it's fascinating actually. So the rate of infant mortality among Black people is nearly eight deaths per 1,000 live births for Black babies. And for both White and Hispanic babies, it's more around five infant deaths per 1,000 births. So it's double the amount in Black infants than it is for White or Hispanic infants. And the NPR article talks about how scientists initially thought that this was related to poverty or lack of education. And then they thought possibly it had to do with genetics. But what they've actually seen over years and years of research is that this experience is the same regardless of class and socioeconomic status, regardless of education, regardless of where black women are coming from. So obviously like this doesn't happen for all black people, and so you can't say that it's genetics, because if it were genetics, then all people with African roots would experience the same issue, and that's not what's happening. The author says, black and white teenage mothers growing up in poor neighborhoods both have a higher risk of having smaller premature babies. So if you're poor, it doesn't necessarily matter if you're black or white. You have the same rate. So what's happening is more black women are having premature children, and that's the reason why they're dying at a higher rate. And so if you're a lower income person, it doesn't necessarily matter what race you are. You have the same likelihood of having an infant death. but The article continues on to say that in higher income neighborhoods where women are likely to be slightly older and more educated, quote, among white women, the risk of low birth weight drops dramatically to about half of that, whereas for African-American women, it drops only a little bit. So there is an increasing consensus around the idea that racism, and this is what the article says, that the stresses of racism throughout a black woman's life are contributing to the stresses that lead up to a low birth rate. Yes, and, exactly. Um, yeah. So the stress of experiencing a lifetime of racism is leading to premature births among black women, which is leading to a higher infant mortality rate for black infants. Which is like really depressing. striking and depressing. <laughs> yeah.
0: And and it just speaks to how racism and lacking privilege just rears its ugly head in so many different aspects and things that you was, wouldn't necessarily think about and in, in, in conversations that people aren't having like I would not have thought black women are losing their babies more right because of racism but
1: yeah
0: you know like I would have thought them more physical like oh they're being shot by the police oh, right. okay you know but
1: not like but it makes sense that know. if you think about it a black woman who has a son is going to spend the rest of her life having this worry in the back of her mind that her kid is going to be killed by the police on top of all of these. Even now, when racism is less explicit, but you still might have people assuming that you're the housekeeping lady Mm -hmm. if you walk into a primarily white neighborhood, Mm -hmm. or all of the different examples of implicit racism that black people experience on a day-to-day basis. Yeah.
0: Or as a black woman, you're maybe more likely to be a single mom. Right. Um, and just the issues that come with that. So Yeah, that's a massive amount of stress.
1: Yeah. Although if
0: my godmom's
1: listening, you rocked it. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, you know, again, if you're a white person, that, you know, you're obviously not, you as an individual are not to blame for a higher infant mortality rate among black children. But it's something I think that's incredibly important to acknowledge, that there are disparities where we don't even expect to see them because of color of skin and so as a white woman i don't want to have kids regardless of how many times my financial advisor is like so when are you gonna start saving for children (laughs) but if i did want to have kids i'm at a higher rate of not having my infant die in the first year or two of birth just because of the color of my skin yeah and i do want a football team
0: (laughs) which is why i'm back in school so i can afford the football team (laughs) but yeah Charlotte, you don't want kids? Are you, like, are you sure about that? Like, you're only
1: 30. Maybe you'll change your mind. How yeah. often do you hear that so shit? So often. So often. Do your parents Probably say you'll change things your mind. to you? Well, my parents are so awkward. They, like, can't even bring it up. Yeah. They just can't. It's, like, yeah, painful for them.
0: My mom is starting to be, like, essentially she wants to know, like, if I'm going to be with <laughs> then be with But yeah. if you're not, you need to go find someone else <laughs> you can have babies with. She <laughs> wants grandkids. <laughs> she wants grandkids. <laughs> Like i them, you got two, like. I mean, they only fifteen and sixteen. Like. But yeah, I'm poor, so yeah.
1: No kids on this end. You're poor and black and yeah. about to be thirty. My yeah. are stacking up against you. <laughs> My race. <laughs> I might struggle. I'm probably gonna struggle in this house. We'll send a good baby juju your way in three years. <laughs> exactly. I'll send a calendar reminder for myself. <laughs> It's <laughs> funny
0: so the things we talked about today were pretty heavy but we want to end on somewhat of a positive note and a positive note is that these things don't have to stay like this that conversations like what we're having and um, just the forward thinking of the newer generations that we are able to make a change and move away from our own and we all do it it's not just white people that these race based biases, it's it's all of us. So I think the more we have these conversations, and the more we start to realize, you know, that we are all one people and we're all deserving of um, dignity and equal treatment under the law, that we'll start to see a change. And I know it's probably looking through things with uh, of rose colored glasses right now, but I mean, there if there there's no hope, then it's like why are we doing this? You know, yeah. so we have to really always keep steady and and never give up and I feel like I I sound like a civil rights leader right now but (laughs) keep keep pushing forward, keep moving forward because that's the only way we'll ever get anything done.
1: Yeah and I think it's so important for all of us to be, we all have our own lives and our own experiences and it's so important to acknowledge that we don't all have the same lives and the same experiences and so we need To learn how to be open to hearing each other's stories and be open to the idea that people haven't had the same experiences that we have had. And it's okay for us to listen and learn from what other people have lived through. It's so important for us to listen to each other and to learn from each other's experiences and stories so that we can have dialogue around these kinds of issues and figure out how to move forward. Because we can't leave it to our leadership and our policymakers. They don't see us as human beings. So we have to be the grassroots change. And I really think that that change begins when we understand each other. Yeah. And that
0: somewhat leads us into a preview for our next episode. I don't know about Charlotte, but I was obsessed with the Spice Girls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I dressed up as Scary Spice. I put my mom had like this cheetah print um, oh scarf God. and I tied That's it as okay. like a bra. And she was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Cut the can, Cancel the cable. No more Scary Spice. Like I, I used her scarf as a bra. And I have my cones and uh, I was spice Scary Spice girl. Bro. The color of the world. Spice up your life. Every boy, every girl. Spice up your life. So that's the title of our next episode is Spice Up Your Life. And what we mean by that is, like, for me, I feel like, I take a look at my people group, my friend group, the people I'm around, majority, and it's pretty homogenous. And I think too often we get into our little separate silos where we are not, Engaging with people who are not like us, and I'm not just talking about like Republican Democrat, but I mean, you're my only white friend, Charlotte. <laughs> I know that's not true. <laughs> no, I swear. Like with like real friends, you're my only white friend. No, that's not true. That's not true. I have some people from my church, but yeah, they're older. They're happen. older than me. You're my only white friend that's the same age as me. so. Well, that's so sad. <laughs> that's <rough. laughs> so sad. <laughs> That is so sad. And I don't have any Spanish friends. I used People to. Too. When I was in middle school, you really could not tell me I wasn't. I was trying to find any reason to be Puerto Rican. <laughs> because everybody in my school was Puerto Rican. And I like, it was salsa and merengue and bachata. And I mean, I was, I'm, my grandma was one fifth Puerto Rican. I was fitting to be Puerto Rican just like y'all. <laughs> and But I was exposed to so many things culturally. Like my favorite if I was on death row and I could have one last meal it would be Colombian food with Yeah, Colombian food. <laughs> Not, I'll just I'm getting hungry. So mm, anyway Um and, and you have to I think that's that kind of stuff is important. It's important to reach out to to make friends of different cultures and different ethnicities. That way we're able to break down the stereotypes. Like if you think that all black people steal cars and are criminals How would you know any different if you didn't have a black friend that did not steal cars and was was a criminal? So it's, you know, we have to get out of our little silos and start forming real relationships with people who are of different cultures and races. And I think that will move us progressively along as we try and fight for equality for everyone. So we're going to be talking about ways to spice up your life. Spice Girl style. Spice Girls. <laughs> in our next episode. <laughs>
1: and uh, a big part of that conversation will also be talking about implicit bias and where it shows up in our day-to-day life and how we can challenge our own implicit biases by spicing up our life.
0: And, Break down the stereotypes. Uh, we
1: much prefer our method over the Starbucks one-day implicit but they were closed for only a half a day. We think that ours will be <laughs> way more effective, so don't miss it. Yeah. Oh, also as a side note yeah. to our uh, race conversation, I just finished reading A Homegoing by Yaa uh, Gayasi. Mm. Um, and it is an incredible story that I highly recommend oh, I for anyone who's interested in reading. So she's a Ghanaian author and the story follows two families that, well, it's one family and two like trees of the family that have totally different stories in Ghana and the United States. And she does a really incredible job of showing how what happens generations ago and hundreds of years ago follows your family's story and your family's history through hundreds of years. So I thought it was really, really cool. And if you liked what we talked about, about the history of race relations in the United States, then I'd say give it a read. That
0: was on my list. I went to the library. This is, there was a whole list of books I was looking for. Did not exist. And I was like, damn, the public libraries that are
1: trash. Ugh,
0: it like, sucks. Are, are they losing funding?
1: People Probably. To them.
0: Probably both. No, but there's yeah. Amazon. I it made like me I feel I like I don't. needed to volunteer at the library because <laughs> that will solve it. Or like pay my fines. <laughs> Probably that would be more helpful. <laughs> I'd rather just volunteer. <laughs> so our challenge question for the week for episode five yeah, five. is how do you add or seek diversity in your life? Or do you? Or do you? Yeah. Or do you think that's important?
1: Life. Do you feel more comfortable? Well, we all feel more comfortable in our own bubble, but... Yeah, is there anything that you have done in order to seek out diverse viewpoints or diverse cultures, foods, blah blah blah? As usual, pop onto any of our social media pages, send us a message, write us an email, whatever you want to do, and tell us how you try to add diversity to your life. Or if you're not doing it, how would you like to add diversity to your life? And in our next episode we will explore or would like to add diversity in our own lives. So spice up your life.
0: I feel like we need to play this.
1: We need to go out.
0: Probably.
1: <laughs> Sweet.
0: <laughs> See you guys next week. Bye. Who are you? Are you Spice? What Spice Girl were you? Um,
1: I think I was Posh. Oh. But no, no, no. no. Actually, it was sporty. Were you sporty? Because yeah. I was a real tomboy. Like, honestly, I was always told I had to be,
0: like, scary twice because I was black. Yeah. Whatever. I but that I actually liked it, so it was okay she was with really that. Cool. But when they tried to make me to be the Yellow Ranger, mm-hmm. hell no, nah. I'm
1: Kimberly. I so fuck be y'all. A no one
0: to be a Yellow Ranger. I'm like,
1: Ha <laughs>